Greetings, beloveds, and welcome to The Word is Resistance, a weekly podcast hosted by Showing Up for Racial Justice. In this podcast, we explore the readings from the Christian Bible assigned for the week in the Revised Common Lectionary, focusing on how they are providing us tools to resist white supremacy's culture of domination, exploitation, and oppression, and how these texts can inspire new decolonial, anti-racist, and liberatory visions and practices to build a new world. I am Dr. Sharon Funema, and I serve as the curator of the Join the Movement Toward Racial Justice, an anti-racism initiative of the United Church of Christ. I use she and her pronouns, and am recording this podcast from my home, which rests on the unceded and ancestral lands of the Ohlone people who continue to lay down prayers and raise up life on this ground in what is now known as Oakland, California. I am honored to contribute to this podcast, which is geared toward white Christians like me, who are searching for ways to resource and expand our capacity for racial justice. It is a particular joy to contribute to this series that lifts up the intersections of racial justice and disability justice recognizing that we cannot build a more just world if we do not pay attention to the ways in which white supremacy, ableism, and racialized capitalism are interconnected and rely on each other. As white Christians, we have particular work to do in resisting these logics of supremacy, which we benefit from and are implicated in, to serve a more just future for all. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Hardy family for letting us use this song for this podcast. As we begin our exploration of the scripture readings for today, I want to invite us to ground ourselves with the centering practice offered by Adrienne Marie Brown in her book, Holding Change, The Way of Emerging Strategy Facilitation and Mediation. Let us take a moment to breathe together. Let your breath guide you into your body, into your center. Breathe into your vertical dimension. Let your length be long. Feel your dignity. Breathe into your horizontal dimension. Let your width be wide. Feel your right to take up space. Feel your connection to others. Feel your boundaries. Breathe into the back of your body. Let your depth be deep. Feel your ancestors, your lineages, your journey. Breathe into the front of your body. Let your depth be deep. Feel the future unfurling before you. Breathe into your center. 
Let your love and longing fill you up. Feel your purpose. May it be so. The scripture I am reflecting on today comes from Luke 12, verses 49 through 56. It comes in the midst of a collection of warnings, sayings, and stories at the center of Luke's gospel, in which Jesus continually unfolds his complex vision of the new realm of love and justice that is to come and is emerging in our midst. Let us take a moment to sit with these challenging words of Jesus. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already ablaze. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Whenever I hear this passage from the Gospel of Luke, I can't help but hear echoes of a much older text in our sacred canon. Centuries before the Jesus movement, a community told the story of a prophet called Jeremiah, known for his laments and calls to accountability in the years surrounding experiences of dislocation and exile. The prophet Jeremiah's searing assessments take aim not only at the ruling elite and their oppressive wielding of power, but also at those who acquiesce to the status quo, accepting the comforts their privilege affords them and not rising up against the injustices in their midst. In this context, Jeremiah says, From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. When Jesus says, do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. I hear him stepping into the river of this prophetic tradition. 
speaking to a community, finding ways to survive occupation and negotiating their relationship to the ruling elite, Jesus seems to be taking aim at a similar kind of false peace. Perhaps like Jeremiah, Jesus is lamenting and calling to account those who acquiesce to the status quo, accepting the way peace as comfort goes hand in hand with injustice. Perhaps he too is calling in those whose vision of restoration means a return to the easy injustices that we know, rather than the divisive truths that will free us. This passage from Luke also calls to mind a more recent prophetic voice. In a similar prophetic stream, I hear echoes of Martin Luther King Jr.'s lament from the Birmingham jail. He too takes aim at those who ask for peace while so many suffer injustice, saying, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the last few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. In this context of negative peace, Reverend Dr. King lifts up the importance of direct action which his detractors saw as divisive and unchristian. He describes the necessity of tension, division, discomfort, in the ways it reveals what has been hidden to the privileged, the comfortable, the ones for whom the status quo works. He says, nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and establish such creative tension that a community that has consistently refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. It seeks so to dramatize the issue that it can no longer be ignored. I just referred to the creation of tension as part of the work of the nonviolent resistor. This may sound rather shocking, but I must confess that I am not afraid of the word tension. There is a type of constructive nonviolent tension that is necessary for growth. We must see the need of having nonviolent agitators to create the kind of tension in society that will help men to rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. Perhaps like Reverend Dr. King, Jesus is asking this community of followers to understand that he is not afraid of tension, of division, if it means that people will begin to recognize the injustices in their midst and the ways in which they are complicit with the powers that are sustaining those injustices. Perhaps Jesus is naming the ways in which a commitment to his way of radical and revolutionary love will separate us from those who are unwilling to recognize injustice and grow and change in response to that recognition. They have treated the wound, they have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is the white moderate, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Locating Jesus's words in the context of this lineage of prophetic voices has me wondering, what was the negative peace that he was taking aim at? What was the status quo that he noticed his community clinging to? A status quo that perhaps felt, perhaps felt comfortable or reassuring, as opposed to the difficult and divisive truths that could empower growth. Were they misinterpreting the present time by failing to perceive the ways that the peace they longed for was really the comfort afforded by privilege? Maybe he was calling attention to the misinterpretation of peace as the absence of tension, tension experienced by those who were newly recognizing injustice. I could take some guesses about the context Jesus was speaking into and what negative peace or status quo he might have understood his ministry to be disrupting in ways that divided the community. That would be fun and not an unhelpful rabbit hole. But I feel like this passage is calling us in a different direction. Considering this passage as part of our ongoing series focusing on the connections between anti-racism and disability justice has me asking a different question. From a disability justice perspective, I find myself wondering what is the ableist status quo that we are tempted to keep peace with? Where do we want to hold on to a negative peace that is complicit with and upholds racialized ableist capitalism? Where might we be failing to perceive the ways that the peace we long for is really the comfort afforded by able-bodied privilege? When I lean into these questions, I hear echoes of another voice in the lineage of prophetic disruptors, Imani Barbarin. As her bio states, Imani is a disability rights and inclusion activist and speaker who uses her voice and social media platforms to create conversations engaging the disability community. Born with cerebral palsy, Imani often writes and uses her platform to speak from the perspective of a disabled Black woman. She runs the blog Crutches and Spice and a podcast of the same name, and currently serves as the communication director for a nonprofit in Pennsylvania. Throughout the COVID pandemic, Imani has incisively named some of the ways in which we have manifested our society's deep invested investment in maintaining able-bodied supremacies. For example, she points out how the accommodations that many disabled people have needed and requested for decades had been interpreted before the pandemic. In a set of tweets, she says, when disabled people asked for telecommuting, you called us lazy. We needed straws and single-use plastics, and you told us you were comfortable with a few losses if it meant saving the planet. Now you are hoarding them. You called our activism from home, from bed, from the internet, slacktivism. But now you're stuck at home, isolated, and your marches have been canceled.
Somehow in the midst of the pandemic, all of the accommodations and reimaginings could happen in a moment. The same access needs that before the pandemic were interpreted as divisive or special treatment or disruptive when disabled people needed them became entirely possible and acceptable when able-bodied people needed them. Society like ours that makes peace with ableism and sees accessibility as divisive and disruptive until we need it, we can better understand a Jesus who says, Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Himani also points out how our longing and willingness to return to normal, despite pandemic surges and a continually rising death toll, is similarly driven by a longing for peace that is actually the comfort afforded by able-bodied privilege. She writes, while people glorified a normal that never really existed, every institution that we had neglected in the past began to crumble. Every system continues to snowball toward failure, and yet people want normal. I question whether they truly want normal or to go back to being blissfully unaware. While each day seems to get increasingly worse, we can't pretend we don't see the cracks in the facade. Normal was a lie meant to keep the peace and discourage challenging a society built around racism, ableism, and white supremacy. Because of these systems, disabled people and communities of color have been devastated, all while simultaneously experiencing systemic racism and po police violence. And you want normal? We cannot afford normal and it seems that only the privileged are the ones who can actually afford to return to it. To want normal says that you have identified all of the issues put on display and said, I'm fine with that. Wanting to return to normal is wanting to hold on to a negative piece that is complicit with and upholds racialized ableist capitalism. It is treating the wounds of people carelessly. It is saying peace, peace when there is no peace. But of course, keeping peace with an ableist status quo is not limited to the actions Imani has named within the COVID pandemic. In fact, she calls our attention to the ways in which what she calls inspiration exploitation fundamentally reinforces white able-bodied supremacy. When disabled people are only visible if their stories are inspiring to able-bodied people, or if they are seen as overcoming their disability in some ways, it erases and minimizes their accomplishments and makes their lives more about how they impact able-bodied people in seemingly positive ways. As Imani says, the reason you find us inspiring is because you see no value in us otherwise. You don't love us, you consume us. As Kazmi Obiara Obiara points out in her interview with Amani, when able-bodied people use words like inspiring, it is evident that they are merely stroking their own egos instead of working to actually combat the systemic ableism that disabled people and particularly disabled people of color experience on a daily basis. In this way, finding disabled people inspiring is keeping peace with the status quo of ableism. 
and those disabled people who are not interested in being someone's inspiration, who won't just take the compliment, are perceived as divisive and disruptive. When Jesus emphasizes the divisions that will come in his litany of divided households and families, I wonder if it is this kind of divisive and disruptive refusal of the status quo that he is pointing us toward as part of what it means to follow in the pathways of revolutionary love. To find peace in systems of injustice, in patterns of racialized ableism, in practices of exploitation and oppression is antithetical to the Jesus life. If that is peace, then we are called to bring the kind of division that can foster growth, the creative tension that will no longer allow us to ignore or acquiesce to the injustice in our midst. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is the white moderate who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Normal was a lie meant to keep the peace and discourage challenging a society built around racism, ableism, and white supremacy. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. How are you being called to step into this lineage of prophetic voices? What practices will you embrace that will be called divisive? How will you name and counter the peace that is really no peace at all? For our call to action this week, I want to invite us to learn more about inspiration exploitation. You might start with Stella Young's TEDx talk, I'm Not Your Inspiration, Thank You Very Much, or Annie Alaney's video on What is Inspiration Porn, or check out Critical Access, a project that collects and analyzes disability representation in media using a critical lens. These are great entry points for starting to disrupt and refuse the status quo of racialized ableism. I also want to call your attention to a mutual aid opportunity to support Disability Visibility Project founder and disability justice activist, Alice Wong. After a summer of medical crises and a month in the ICU, Alice's community is raising funds to support her recovery and help her stay at home. A link to her GoFundMe campaign is in the podcast description and transcript. You can also learn more about her journey through her photo essay, My ICU Summer, on the Disability Visibility Project website. Thanks, as always, for joining us. We'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages or filling out the survey on our podcast page at surge.org. 
Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you check out our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org, where you can sign up for Surge Faith updates and find transcripts for every episode, which includes references, resources, and action links. Finally, a huge thanks to our sound editor, Claire Hitchens. As we close out our time together, I invite you to take a moment with me in the solidarity of prayer, using this reimagining of what is commonly known as the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me a channel of disturbance. Where there is apathy, let me provoke. Where there is compliance, let me bring questioning. Where there is silence, may I be a voice. Where there is too much comfort and too little action, grant disruption. Where there are doors closed and hearts locked, grant the willingness to pay attention. When laws dictate and pain is overlooked, when tradition speaks louder than need, grant that I may seek rather to do justice than to promote peace. Lord, Make me a channel of disturbance.